This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, this is Cruise Control, the car show on BFM, brought to you by Carson. My name is Arif Bruce, and as usual, on the phone lines, on his fancy new microphone, is Mr. Daniel Fernandez. Say hello, Daniel. Good evening, everybody, and hello, and you know, you sound very excited. Is it because Richard is not around? Somebody has to fill in all this excitement and pretend <laughs> he's excited, right? <laughs> well, good to hear you're excited, because I'm also excited. There's plenty to talk about and complain about, isn't there, today? Yes, yes, yes. So, as usual, in three parts this show, uh, we've got the news, we'll be talking about some signs of recovery, some fancy police cars, and then we've got two new entry-level pickups, an updated Geely Boyu, and finally, a really, really cool car, not just because it's a JDM, but because it's a car that everybody used in Need for Speed, the 1991 Honda Integra XSI. Lots of things to talk about today, right? Yes, we do. Let's head to the news. So, first things first, before we actually talk about some positive news, I'd like to kick off with an interesting question from a listener, Mr. Hmm. Julian, about uh, your review last week where we spoke about the Subaru WRX version 10. And he was wondering why Subaru never actually sold the regular Impreza hatchback since hatchbacks like the Mazda 3 were kind of getting popular anyway. Okay, very good question, Julian. And uh, a question has been asked before, not only for the hatchback, but also for the regular sedan. Now, if you go to Singapore, Moto Image, the importer for Subarus in Malaysia and Singapore and also the region, they used to sell the regular Impreza, which is uh, 1.6, and they had a hatchback and they had a sedan. They also had a wagon. Now, in Singapore, you have a fair market economy. You don't have a national car status. In Malaysia, because of the national car status, especially at that time, because Proton was also selling 1.6-litre basic sedans, when you bring in a Subaru basic sedan or even a hatchback, the price is going to be almost 30% more expensive than what Proton is selling. For example, at the time, the Proton Suprema, uh, I think it was about 70,000 ringgit. If you bring one of these cars in, it's going to cost very close to what Toyota was selling their Corolla Altis and Honda was selling their Civic and Mazda had their Mazda 3. Now, if mm. you think about it, Toyota and Honda had local assembly. They had volume to play with. Subaru was not into the volume game at, at that time and they didn't have a factory here to do assembly. So in mm. their business plan, it did not make sense. And also, they were not really looking at Malaysia as an important market at that time because they didn't have enough APs to even bring in the Impreza. I remember one time, uh, some years ago, the, the general manager was telling me they only got 99 APs a year. That's barely anything. Yeah, so whenever a new model was launched, a Subaru new model was launched, every year they have some new model, they'll bring in and then that's it. For the rest of the year, they sit quiet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, of course, when they started the XV local assembly, that's when they really ramped up their production from 99 a year. I mean, their sales from 99 a year. It went up to almost 5,000 cars. Mm. And they did it at a time when everybody was getting into this wagon SUV crossover craze in Malaysia. So, they rode that wave because the sedan market was shrinking. So, this is why Subaru plays with SUVs. And also, they are one of the biggest SUV players in the world. Yep, with the Subaru XV. Correct. There's your answer, Julian, and more. Um, we have some news to do mm. with uh, September sales figures. And it seems that more than a few manufacturers are very, very proud to show off their sales figures. 
And it's a good sign. It's a good sign of recovery. Of course, it's always a good sign when the numbers are up, except when the numbers are up for infections. Uh, that was mm. smooth as silk. Yes. Uh, <laughs> still, I mean, the numbers are still far away from what was normal, you know, what we considered normal true, two years true. ago. But it's still significant. For example, Mitsubishi with their new Triton, uh, they have sold the most ever Tritons they have ever had in Malaysia, which now means that now every new pickup, at least a third of them will be Mitsubishi Tritons. 1,500 units, apparently. Hmm. Perodua themselves, uh, their sales more than doubled over August. So now they sell about 14,160 units in September compared to 7,000 in August. And they are still the market leaders. They are by far. By far, because in P2... Hmm. Proton, they sold 10,380 cars, slowly chipping away at uh, Perodua and Toyota and all of their competitors' market share because their market share has increased to 23%, which is actually very good. It's almost a quarter. This represented an increase from 20.7% last year. So despite the pandemic and everything, there's still some substantial interest in Proton. Um, for Toyota, though, probably the biggest increase out of any car manufacturer that they had to advertise that September recorded 223% increase in sales. And I believe they are sitting in third uh, because they've only sold 8,033. But still, very, very good stuff from Toyota. Everybody's walking into their showrooms. Yeah. And, you know, the, sh- the, the factory has been closed for quite a bit. So this is good news for them. What sort of cars will people be looking at? Well, the Corolla Cross, the Toyota Yaris, the Vios. The Vios is well-priced. The Yaris is well-priced. The Corolla Cross is a hot topic right now. It's a crossover that's selling so fast. I think Proton X50 is a little bit worried, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Also, to note, actually, a few people, a few of my friends just bought a new Toyota Yaris. Mm. So, still a very popular car, despite being quite a bit older and... um, I'd say not as handsome as its other competitors. Well, it's a well-priced hot hatch. Not a hot hatch, well-priced hatch that looks like a hot hatch. Um, There has been an uproar since last week. Right after we did our show on Wednesday, on Thursday, there were pictures of a PDRM liveried BMW M3, two new BMW X3s, and two new Volkswagen Tiguans. These pictures were uploaded online and obviously went viral. BMW said that it was a movie car. That turned out to be a false statement. But then PDRM had to step up and then said, chill everybody, we're just testing out these cars. We haven't actually paid anything to anybody. And then proceeded to, a few days later, stop an already busy MR2 to help this squadron of fancy police cars merge onto the highway. Doesn't look good for them, especially uh, since it's being said that these cars were being evaluated for quote-unquote, escort duties. So it's kind of, I mean, it's clearly vanity-driven, isn't it, Daniel? Well, you know, you want to say vanity, it's hard to say because a lot of police departments around the world use, you know, performance cars. I mean, we were using Evos 12 years ago, you know? Of course, uh, nowadays, you don't see much of these Evos on the road. In fact, I've never (laughs) seen one for a long time. But whatever, whatever it is, you know, there were Evos being used. And, you know, these Mitsubishi Evos were fast. They were, you know, popular models, you know, they could chase down. They were mainly used for the highway. Now, this being an evaluation doesn't mean they, they paid any money for it. They invite car companies or sometimes they call up car companies and say, okay, would you, would you like to be, you know, invited to send in your car? And then they put their own livery on it. So the only, mm. the only thing which I'm a little bit upset, you know, because the people who did all the little stickers, they made some money, you know, <laughs> because these cars are later going to be sent back 
to the respective companies and all that is going to be stripped off. So if you're going to evaluate a car, why do you need to put livery on it? That's number one. Yeah, exactly. Number two, you could have done it quietly, taken it to a quiet area, done all your research, testing, everything else, then return it to the car companies. So I think this is a little bit of a publicity stunt because, you know, to go and spend money on delivery, get it on social media. I mean, the first pictures that came out came from the people who did the sticker. Now, if you were doing work for the PDRM, you would have signed some NDA or some agreement or would have said, don't make yeah. noise and don't put it up. But they had videos, they had pictures shared with a lot of media. I mean, we didn't get it, but we know other media got it. So I think it was purposely leaked to create a little bit of stir. On top of that, there is a requirement by the government. If you buy a car from any manufacturer, it has to be, no matter what grade, it has to be local assembled. Now, the M3 is not local assembled. Yeah. The Volvo S60 T8, that's local assembled. The Mercedes C43 AMG, which are equivalent to the M3, are all local assembled. The Volvo is half the price. The Mercedes is about 150000 cheaper. So why the M3? I think the M3 was done as a showpiece. The X3, of course, the SUV, that's local assembled. The Tiguan is local assembled. That's fine. Okay. Yes, people are saying, instead of these two cars, why not the Proton X70? Well, that's beside the point about pricing and all that. But to get the M3 out there when you don't have an equivalent Volvo or Mercedes-Benz with similar power delivery and, and size and stature and all that, this is a statement you're trying to make. Because even like you said, on the MRR2, you know, the, the video that was shared, yeah, I think it was taken by, by someone from the department itself. Clearly, I mean, who would be, you know, standing around on the side of the highway, right? Yes. And also, we actually found some pictures on the PDRM, Friends of PDRM page, showing them with the cars and, you know, with little standees coming from the car manufacturer and everything. So, I think it was a little bit of a, you know, let's let's stir the public. They're all a little bit bored, you know. <laughs> Lockdown is being lifted, you know. Let's, let's get the internet buzzing. Let's get the bandwidth blowing, you know. Let's put some happy faces, you know. Let's give people something to talk about. When they go to Tetare, you know what I mean? I mean, sure, but they clearly need to have a talk with their like PR or marketing department because this is clearly not the right way to <laughs> cause a stir. Yes, but you see, the thing is that this is the funny thing, you know. From what I understand, a whole bunch of media called up the BMW PR department. Nobody called up the Volkswagen PR department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. They were just kind of like, oh, I guess. Okay, they're going to mind a Volkswagen, that's fine. Okay, it's, it's under $1,000. But BMW M3, no, not taxpayer money, not in this time. So I think it's just something to give everybody maybe they wanted to help us media out and give us some traffic also you know? <laughs> well thank you for that I guess PDR <laughs> yes yes so I think it's all good it's all good don't worry about it in a couple of words though in a mm. couple of sentences actually um, there's some case for a police force to have fast police cars obviously yes. in Germany yes. when you have to hunt down Lamborghinis yes in US when everything's basically a 5 litre V8 in Dubai when their highways are literally just straight lines correct but in Malaysia is there a case Yes, of course, because you know why? Like one of my readers on Facebook, actually two of my readers shared this, he said, the best chase car for PDRM would be a modified MyV. <laughs> because you see them buzzing along the highway, you know, weaving in and out of traffic. So if they just did a little bit of tweaking on it, I think, hey, uh, not too bad, you know, and then local assembly car also, you know? Yeah, local, cheap also. Mm. Uh, you can get some local parts suppliers to get involved in, you know, upgrading the car. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, it's, it's up to them. Like. I, think, I think this was a publicity stunt anyway. Anyway, um, interstate travel, uh, it's now been allowed. Mm. Freedom, um, I think. I think it's a very good idea for people who really need to travel for family or for work. But for people who are just like, oh, I need to go out somewhere. I think it's not a very good idea because I've 
I'm already getting reports from friends and family that every beachfront, every lake, every stream, every longkang is jam-packed with people having picnics and everything else. And the worst thing is they're leaving back a lot of rubbish and debris. Yeah. Now, I know you need to go out. I need to go out. My family needs to go out. My kids need to go out. They are also telling me, hey, when are we going on a, you know, Chuti Chuti Malaysia? You know, you've got a test car. Let's go somewhere. But it is still not the right time to, to drive out aimlessly. And think about it. Just think about it. You're sitting on the highway in heavy traffic. You're crawling to a destination that's overcrowded. And guess what? We living in the city are having a great time driving around. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It's just like Raya all over again. Yes, yes, yes. But the other thing that's also a little troubling is, which has been happening for a long time, really long time, but it's, it's been escalated the last few weeks, there have been numerous accidents along the Ulu Yam Gotong Jaya Road. Yep. We've said this many times online. We've said it on the radio. We've said it on dsf.my. We've written articles about it. Please do not take your cars and use it as a racetrack. There are villages along the way. There are small townships. There are people living along the way. There are orang asli settlements along the way. Children are along the way. If you want to go and just damage your car and prove something to yourself, do it along some deserted stretch of road. Don't do it and get other people involved. Like this recent accident with the Mitsubishi Lancer crashing into another car which was coming coming the other direction. I mean, that guy is an innocent guy. Yeah. Now he's got insurance issues. He's got no car. Maybe his job, he's going to have difficulty getting to work. Maybe he got injured. Now, why are you doing all this? I mean, people like this, especially when they film it and put it on YouTube, I think they should be arrested and the car's taken away. I totally agree. Uh, I mean, it does bring up an interesting question with us, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, um, not me, but you, because okay. you are the car influencer of Malaysia. No, 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 no. no You're no, the no. most listened to man in the world. Listen to, yes. Uh, <laughs> That's because BFM um, is the number one radio station. We have a responsibility, right? When we record these videos, when we review these cars, we tell people about how exciting they are, um, how fast they can go. And people obviously are going to, you know, latch onto that idea and want to test things out for themselves when right. they buy their own car. Yes. And do you feel that there's a certain amount of responsibility that you have or that we have when you know talking about cars are we forced to spread good driving habits i think we are of course but you see the thing is we don't have the avenue we've got great roads we've got fantastic roads but you see you never see a video of me going up uluya you never see a video of me going to gotong jaya genting highlands kara we don't do this we yeah. never do this simply because we just think it's not safe at all. Even if you're going to do it in a controlled environment, you still cannot control the villagers, the people, the motorcyclists. And then nowadays, you've got a lot of cyclists, you know? Yeah. Okay, so now the thing is, a lot of these people who do this, number one, they are driving brand new cars with brand new tires, new brakes, new suspension, and everything. Plus, they have some advanced driver training, which we are happy to get from car companies over the years. So after a few years, we have some better experience. But again, you cannot predict what's happening around you. Number two, and the most important thing is most of these people who are taking these cars and doing all this, they are watching this, you know, YouTube videos and saying, oh, you know, I think he can do that corner at this speed. Okay, I so can do. But their cars have older tires, older brakes, older suspension. They don't have that advanced training. They don't have that reflexes that some of the professionals do. I'll use the word professionals in a very loose term. Number three, you never do this on a public road. Look at professional race drivers. Take, for example, Karamjit Singh, okay? Malaysia, best rally driver known around the region, blah, blah, blah. You never see him doing a video on a public road 
showing speed. I have seen some, mm-hmm. but he's always alone. Alone or so, but you see, he's not doing it the Uluyam Gotong Jaya kind of thing. You know what I mean? That's the best example of, oh, we go up, we come down, or oh, everybody knows his road, and then they know the route. I know it's easy, it's accessible, but come on. There's so many adverse effects that can happen. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Even when car companies tell us, okay, you know, here's a car, uh, let's go for a test drive. They never take us on this route because this route is actually a little bit dangerous. Lots of blind corners. Never mind the blind corners. It's the people, the other people, you know, motorcyclists and cyclists and villagers. And a lot of the villagers, when they use their motorcycles there, they actually don't use helmets. Yep. So you could have zipped past some motorcyclist. He would have lost control, gone into a tree. Nobody knows about it. Nobody reports it. And then you continue with your journey. But put all this aside. Public roads are not for this kind of things. And when you glorify it on YouTube, you're also telling people, hey, I think it's okay. No matter how safe you are, no matter how professional you are, you shouldn't be doing this. I'm a member of a few chat groups, WhatsApp groups of car clubs. And they said, oh, we're going, we're going here, we're going there. And all of them are going on this route. All of them are planning, you know, 10 cars, 12 cars. I never participate. And, and some of them ask me, why won't you come along? I just give an excuse. Oh, I've got time with my family and all that. Because when you tell them don't go, they get agitated. When you tell them you shouldn't be doing this, they say, oh, no, we're just going slow. No one goes slow. You start off going slow. Then one guy will get a bit excited. Another one will get a bit more excited. And suddenly it's a small race, you know? Mm. Because everybody's trying to show who's got the better car, better handling, better driving experience. So I don't take part in any of this. This is something which I've said to all the car clubs that I'm involved in. And even some that I'm not involved in, they invite me to say, because, you know, we wanted to do a bit of coverage for us. We're doing this charity thing. We're collecting money. I said, sorry, if you're going on this route, don't get me involved. You can talk to other media. I'm, I'm happy to even give you the names and numbers of other media. But me, DSF, we don't endorse or allow or even think this is a good idea in any way. Even if tomorrow they get approval to close the road and get the police to say, okay, we close one stretch and one stretch and we do a hill climb. You can't control the people at the side. You can't control the villagers. What if it's, you know, one of those hill climbs that kind of lead to nowhere with nobody along the side? That's fine. That's fine. If you find something like that, fine. I mean, say now you go to Bukit Tinggi and you shut down Bukit Tinggi. Fine. That's 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 great news, you know? Good thing that you brought up hill climbs because... Um, Obviously, we are a nation of car enthusiasts and we do want to drive our cars and enjoy them and, you know, be involved in the culture of cars as well. Right. But here, you know, without hill climbs or road track courses or, you know, driving courses where you can be a little bit curious about your car, we don't really have those. Right. I've always felt that one of these roads outside the Klang Valley that's deserted and leads to nowhere, like that one stretch leading up to Bukit Tinggi. Right. Perfect for, uh, you know, nobody's staying around that area. It's just bare bit of jungle. Yes, but you know, again, you, 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 need, you need to get police to be involved because you want to make sure it's thoroughly safe. You need to get at least some kind of safety marshals along the way. I know all this is a lot of work and you just want to go and have some fun. We all want to have fun. We all love to drive and have fun. And Sepang is just too expensive for us to do this on a, on a weekly basis. And too much commitment. Yeah, but <laughs> the, the thing is, you know, if something goes wrong, you, you know, lives are at stake. I mean, okay, I, I don't keep going on and on about this, but end of the day, please don't do this on public roads. That's all I'm saying. Drive safe and fast. As yes, your... yes, yes, yes. Because I like, I like to drive fast, but I want to be safe at the same time, you know? Yep, totally agree. Well put and well said, uh, Daniel. I think that was a very, very good PSA of sorts. Right. Um, but we do have to take a break at this time. When we come back, we will be talking about some new cars, particularly two new entry-level pickups and possibly, maybe, a new Proton X70. Maybe. After that, use car reviews. So stick around for part two, BFM 89.9.
Because Freedom Matters. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, this is Cruise Control, the car show on BFM, and we are brought to you by Carson. My name is Arv Bruce, and as usual, on the microphone, on the phone lines, on the internet, is Mr. Daniel Fernandez. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, everybody, and good evening. In part one, we had uh, some positive talk about some signs of recovery in the in the local automotive industry. We spoke about some fancy police cars and obviously being safe, driving safely and not being reckless as the borders open. In part two, we're going to start off with two new entry-level pickups. One that we spoke about last week, it's called the GMC Vegas Pro, which is essentially the Ford Ranger's Chinese twin. We pondered over it, whether we liked it, or whether it'll be a success, and possibly the price. But I've just received news from Daniel today that the price is... Just under 100,000 ringgit, which is 99k. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say 99k, but you know, remember we said last week, if it's below 100,000, there's a lot of hope. <laughs> because, because the Japanese rivals, including Ford itself and uh, Nissan Navara and Isuzu D-Max and, and Mitsubishi Triton, they are all above 100,000 ringgit. So this is one of the cheapest pickups you can buy. Yes, and they've got 13 service outlets. And also, in a roundabout way, they're backed by the Tanchong Group. Yeah. So yep. they've been around, they know the market, they know how to look after customers and all that. So I think this will do well. It's all down to looks. But if you go to DSF and you look at the interior pictures, very nice, very modern, very upmarket. It's got a touch of premium in the pictures. I've not touched the vehicle or driven it yet. I'm hoping that after this show, they'll be happy enough to allow me to bring it home. It's essentially a Ranger. So what's not to like about that, right? Yep. But you know, it's, it's again the looks, you know. Uh, everybody's got their own impression. This one looks very American to me. I can see that. I can see that. Mm. Uh, you mentioned one particular truck just now. Yes. The Isuzu D-Max. Uh, they've revealed a newer version and it's super competitively priced yes, to the GMC yes. Vegas Pro. <laughs> so we all know that the D-Max has been doing very well since it arrived in the global scene. You know, every market, it's sold out. It's even beaten the unbeatable Toyota Hilux in certain countries, which is amazing. But this D-Max now comes to Malaysia with, this is surprising, uh, two-wheel drive automatic. There's what? never been, there's never been a two-wheel drive automatic version of the D-Max on sale in Malaysia. It kind of seems off-brand to me. Well, I think what they're doing is very simple. They are seeing a lot of customers who are not looking to go off-road. I mean, you can take a car on mild off-road. You can go to a camping site with a car. But with a race truck like this, two-wheel drive is good enough. Plus, you got that SUV-like Isuzu interior and you got that much-needed automatic gearbox because you're driving in the city all the time. So, think about it this way. You've got a vehicle that it's two-wheel drive, automatic, and it's lighter because it's two-wheel drive. So you've got 85 kg savings. That's almost my weight. I'm 82 kg, you know? <laughs> and you still got that 150 brake horsepower, 350 newton meters of torque. You've got that very reliable and efficient engine. I mean, I think this will sell really well. And this is the problem that what we just mentioned earlier, the GMC Vegas Pro is going to be having because at just 10,000 ringgit more, you get the Isuzu D-Max two-wheel drive. So if you don't really want a 4x4 pickup truck, you might be tempted to walk into an Isuzu showroom. So you're expecting this to outsell or completely kill the GMC Vegas Pro? No, no, I'm, I didn't say that, but it, it's coming at the wrong time. 
<laughs> Maybe they should have held. I, I think you know. I think someone at Isuzu said, "Okay, GMC is launching. Okay, okay, let's quickly taro them, like you know, <laughs> just flexing their muscles, right?" Yes, yes, yes. As Daniel mentioned, um, it's got a pretty efficient turbo diesel engine, no four-wheel drive. It's a basic, sturdy, good old pickup for the urban dweller. You don't need the four-wheel drive if you're driving on tarmac, right. even if there are floods in the KL, obviously. Right. Uh, you still got basic driver safety kits, pretty reasonable interior. Like You still got the infotainment screen in there. So, yes. you know, it's functional. It works very well for 109,000 ringgit. I, yeah. I can see a lot of people buying this. And doing that urban cowboy, you know, big wheels, big bull bar, you know, uh, canopy top, you know, the, the the snorkel, even though they're not going to the water, they just put a snorkel there. And this will be, you know, their way of saying that, you know, I command the road, you know? <laughs> yeah. Don't need to spend 140000 on that new Ranger Wild Track. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, there's one final car that we want to talk about, and it's pretty interesting. We've teased it since the start of the show, and it's called the Geely Boyu X. Right. So this is brand new from China, nothing to do with Proton, nothing to do with Malaysia. But the reason why we highlighted it on DSF and also some other people have highlighted is because China has launched this as a replacement for the current Boyu, which is the Proton X70. So if you look mm-hmm. at the front profile, it's completely new. You look at the back, mm, you can see much of the Proton X70 there. But it's the side profile that tells you this is an X70, you know? <laughs> yes. Especially the middle and rear quarter. It's obvious that, you know, the Geely Boyu itself is already about five years old from China. Mm. In Malaysia, it's already coming to three years. So it's about time that a replacement comes. And I think this is easily going to be the next Proton X70. And I would say easily by next year. Middle of next year? End of next year? I think middle of next year. Like, they're not going to wait so long. I don't know, man. They've, you know, Proton has made a lot of promises uh, about them building their own cars. I feel like they should just wait it out and build their own version of uh, Geely Boyu using the same platform and technology. Nah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> just trying to be positive here, man. You heard it here <laughs> first. It's not going to happen. But we do like the looks, right? The, the looks of this new car with that exploding, that starburst exploding grill. Oh, yes, yes. I do love the fact that the side intakes are, you know, at the corner of the front fascia. Very Triton-ish. Yes. Uh, very, very aggressive. And the interior is beautiful. Beautiful. Well, segment is beautiful. I'll have to use the word beautiful because it's so well placed, everything. The screen is bigger. You got that high center console for the gear shifter. You got those flat bottom steering wheel. I mean, this will do really well. Forget about re-engineering a new car. This is where you're going to make your money. They should have launched this as kind of a limited edition for the like the, la- the final two years, you know. Mm. And there's a new X70, brand new from Proton, coming in, in three, four years. But this is the ultimate one that you're going to get. And we're yes. going to charge 145,000 ringgit for this because you've got blue and white interior. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Do you like that? Blue and white? Or should I say it's white and blue, actually? Uh, not for me. But, you know, I mean, you know, you're upmarket, so you, you probably like it. <laughs> Nah, not for me, not for me. You know, some people like a little bit gaudy, some people like a little bit rock and roll, that's all. That's true. And with that, we should close out this segment. Yes. Uh, because we definitely think this should probably come down as a proton. For sure. For sure. Anyway, that's all for part two. Stick around for part three as we review a car that uh, is in the minds, that has been in the minds for a lot of people if you play a lot of video games. And if you're my age, because it's the Honda Integra XSI from 1991. And it's got for me, Daniel, not mm, for you. Mm, mm, okay. <laughs> Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Bombing frustrated minds. BFM 89.9.
BFM 89.9, this is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. As usual, on the phone lines, on the microphone, on the internet, is the very famous Mr. Daniel Fernandez. Hey, thank you for the intro. Not famous, but I think after BFM, I will be. Anyway, in part one, we had an interesting discussion about uh, reckless driving, interstate travel, fancy police cars, and very, very positive signs from the automotive industry. Part two, we highlighted two new entry-level pickups that you could buy for around 100,000 ringgit. Uh, though the first one, the GMT, might be overwhelmed by the new Isuzu D-Max. And then we spoke about the Geely Boyu X, which should really uh, be a proton and come over here. In part three, though, we are discussing the 1991 Honda Integra XSi. But first things first, tonight's used car review is powered by Carsum, Southeast Asia's largest integrated car buying and selling platform. Buy and sell cars with complete peace of mind at carsum.my. Make it Carsum today. Anyway, Daniel, Honda Integra, the car for me. I think not because you're not a JDM guy. You know, and I like my JDMs. I like my JDM. Okay, so JDM means J- Japan domestic market car. So this means cars that were imported from Japan and sold in Malaysia. Yeah. Not local assembled or locally produced Japanese cars. So this Honda Integra JDM came in, you know, through some grey importer or private import. You know, in, in the mid-1990s, there were a lot of new AP holders coming to the market, uh, which are now AP Kings. And they brought a lot of these cars in the four-door version, the two-door version, the one with the flip-out lights, you know, and, and even some wagons. So this Integra, maybe 30, 40, 50 units came in. I don't know. I'm, I'm just guessing because you don't see many on the road. But it no. is an attractive-looking vehicle. Yep. You know, if you go to DSF, you can see the pictures there. It's low, it's sleek, it's got a lot of greenhouse, it's got long elongated lights in front headlamps, it's got a nice pronounced bumper, you know, a little bit of a spoiler at the back. And of course, interior. Honda interiors from before were very sporty, very inviting, very easy to live with. Agreed. Totally agreed. And you know, these JDM cars, this Japanese domestic market cars, if they were well looked after, they will remain really well looked after years later. I mean, well preserved, right? You know, you don't have, yeah. uh, you know, roof lining that's uh, that's sagging. You don't have panels coming out. You don't have uh, aircon vent louvers that are broken. You'll have knobs and buttons that still work. You won't have sticky plastic. You know, modern German cars have sticky plastic, you know? after four or five years. But these cars, 15, 20, 30 years on the road, you know, they always say, oh, Malaysia heat very hot. Hey, these cars have been under our heat for 30 years, you know. I think what most impresses me about these old Hondas is the button clicking is always the same. Yes, yes. And you know, if you get into cars that have been not abused, I mean, some have been abused, somehow or other, like old Volvos and old Mercedes-Benz, Hondas all have a familiar smell. (laughs) <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> uh, you, you you might not think about it straight away, but you know if you if you go into enough cars over and over, you'll notice it's something about the plastic they use or the fabric. Of course, if you've been carrying babies who've been vomiting and you know friends who drink too much and vomit, then of course all that is lost, lah. You know, but I mean these cars were super reliable. These cars were yeah. exciting at that point of sale. You know, uh, in those days, the nearest competitor from Japan would have been something from Toyota, like the Levin. You know or the more mm. modern Levin, or the Toyota FX GT, the Honda CRX, its own sibling. But this car was bigger. This car had proper rear room. If I was driving it, Richard could sneak into the back. I mean, not comfortable, but he could sneak into the back. Mm. But the other competitors, Richard will not be able to get into the back. So this car was actually quite roomy. And there was a four-door version of this car. Mm. you know. And the four-door version is actually also very rare. And I actually like the four-door version because the proportions on the side are nearly equal. 
So this car came with uh, what they call the B16A engine. Okay. Now, this engine is legendary. Legendary. A lot of Honda owners, local assembled Honda owners, over the years, bought a lot of half-cuts from Japanese junkyards, you know, from all over Malaysia, and they transplanted it, this engine. Because at that point, this normal aspirated engine, tuned between 160 to 170 brake horsepower, was the engine to own. It's high revving. As you go past 5,000, it screams. It sounds like a motorcycle engine if it's well-tuned. It was exciting to use. It was fun to use. Now, this 30-year-old sports car, today, in the used car market, first of all, it's hard to find. But when you find it, prices are hovering between 20 to 30,000 ringgit. Now, why is there a big gap? Because, A, you got few variations of it. Some come with sunroof, some come without sunroof, some come with a body kit, some come without body kit. When I talk about body kit, I'm talking about original Japan body kit. But like mm. this one, which we wrote about, actually belongs to one of our staff. And his name is? Subash. The famous guy that bought an E34. Yes, yes, yes. And you told me not to because of his experience. <laughs> exactly, <with it. laughs> exactly. So after his experience with an aging BMW, when he got this car, it was like a breath of fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet. You know, the aircon works, the door lock works, the, there's no warning lights. But he did have some teething problems in the beginning. Of course, you know, you take it to a reliable Honda mechanic, you get it fixed. Of course, you know, the VTEC system, if it's not taken care of, you'll have a little bit problems but all that was small compared to the aging bmw very small problems you know yeah and i say with a higher pitch voice very small problems <laughs> now he enjoyed ownership of this car but when he got a good offer you know jdm prices are going up oh no oh no he sold it he took his money and he ran and i told him i said you'll never find another one like this but he said no i'm making some money finally on a car i'm making some money after years <laughs> of losing money on used cars i said it's normal we all go through it it's a rite of passage when you want to play with cars you know that's true i mean when i was young i lost a lot of money on cars that is why i lost my hair but you see the thing is <laughs> with a car like this the next owner is not going to regret it because why he's already got a car that has been fixed you know with all the little things done He's just yep. going to enjoy it. Yes, he's paid a little bit of a premium. But who knows? Maybe in a year's time, he could sell it for a little bit more money. But it's such a rare car. Why did you sell it, Subash? Come on, man. Well, he bought another rare car. We'll have that for another day. <laughs> okay, okay. Maybe we'll have him on to, you know, we can dig into his car life. <laughs> yes. He bought into another rare car and it's now, uh, you know, a few niggly problems. He's getting it fixed. And this and that next car is even more rare than this car. But let, let's come back to the Honda Integra. Yeah. It is a car that has been, I would say, underappreciated in Malaysia, this model. Mm. And even when we went to see the car, I went with him to see the car, even the seller who had this car for many years, was the only reason he was selling it is because he's slightly older than me. So he's getting on to age. He said, you know, driving a manual is difficult. Uh, he prefers just using an automatic. But when you drive one of these old Hondas manual, the clutch is so light. The gear shift is so light. It's not really a problem in traffic jams unless you have an aching left leg or you know, you've had a little bit of a heart problem and things like that. So I can understand some people being forced to let go of cars like this. It, it seems sad. But that's the case and that's, you know, that's how market market moves on. So, you know, newer owners come into play and newer owners start enjoying the cars and maybe they will spend a bit more money to, you know, upgrade the car further. But honestly, the guy who buys this car, who bought this car, he doesn't need to spend any money except on wear and tear, which is going to be minimal unless he uses it 
every day. And that alone is not a big issue. That's true. <clears throat> One thing that I was wondering about this car, because it it looks like a coupe, right? but it also looks like a hatch. So what is it? It's a hatchback. Sort of like the Weera Aeroback sort of hatch, I guess. Yeah, but you see, the, the argument is this. You see, when you, when you open the hatch, if the glass at the rear also comes along with the hatch, and if it's of a certain degree, then it's a proper hatchback. So something like this, some people will argue and say it's a fastback, you know? Mm. Others will argue and say, no, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a coupe. But, you know, because the glass comes with the rear hatch, you can't actually call it a, a coupe. It's not a boot. But end of the day, whatever you want to call it, it's a Honda Integra. Wait, how, how much did he sell this car for? Um, Are we allowed to know? Between twenty five to 30,000 ringgit, okay? Between twenty five to 30,000 ringgit, which he, he got a good price because A, the lines of the car were all straight, the trim inside was almost near perfect. Everything was working, you know, click start, every electronics, everything was working perfectly well. And, you know, because the car is quite rare, he didn't have to advertise it long. First offer that came along was decent enough. The guy banked in the money, pop, he sent the car away, you know. So I think if another one comes into the market to find one in this condition and around that price, well, it will take some time because I've been browsing the, the classifiers. I've not seen another one. I feel like uh, because he sold the car at about around 30K, mm-hmm. The next seller of this car will probably be thinking about 40 or 45, just because he can. Maybe, maybe he can try, but I think getting 35 to 40 possible, you know, if you find the right person looking for this car. Because there's still a lot of people who, who think, you know, that the Honda Integra is the car to have, you know, that whole name and all that. Of course, it's not a Type R, you know, but some will take it and then give it that whole Type R look. Yep. And then ask for 60,000 ringgit. There's one thing left that I want to talk about that I think we haven't touched on in the show at all. Right. Um, or maybe I've missed it up. But um, there is something about driving an old Honda, right? A, a 1990s Honda sports car or, or a hatchback or a two-door or even the Accord sitting in one. Everything just feels a bit more involved, quality, nice to hold, nice yes, to be yes. in. And that's something that I've never experienced anything else in any other car. It's just... You know, it's just that different and that exciting to be in. Actually, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. from my experience, which I know some people are going to be angry with me, but sorry, I have to say it. Hondas from this era, maybe eight to ten years, huh, when Honda was making cars like this and the, in the same generation, the Accord, the CRX, uh, yeah. may, maybe even the Inspire. I don't know if you, you know this car. Yeah. Uh, what about the Prelude as well? Something about the interior was very close to BMWs from that era. Yes, that's why I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Touch, feel, even in terms of, you know, how it looked. And, you know, it seemed that the guys at Honda were all BMW lovers or BMW owners who said, listen, that's the benchmark we got to hit. And that's what they did. They, they made normal aspirated engines that were powerful. And that's what BMW did at that time. They were not into turbocharging. So they took normal aspirated engines and made them powerful. So if you, look, if you think about it, in those days, if you go to a upmarket neighborhood, if the house has a BMW, it'll also have a Honda. If the house had a Mercedes-Benz, the second car will be a Toyota. Ah, so that, that was something that I was going to say as well. Yes. It seems like there's a natural progression for us Malaysians, right? Yes. If you get a Toyota, you're buying a Mercedes-Benz. If you buy a Honda, you're buying a BMW. That's just a fact. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, I'm talking about a time, you know, 30 years ago when a two-car garage was in a affluent neighborhood. 
You know, so if the main car was a BMW, for sure you'll see a Honda there. You'll not see a Toyota unless it's an yeah. A86 or an MR2, you know, performance Toyota. But if you see a house with a Mercedes-Benz, now, if you think about it, if you go to some of the older neighborhoods in Klang Valley today, okay, if yeah. you see a Mercedes in the house, you'll still see a Toyota, but it might be an Alpha. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you, see a, if you see a new 7 Series or maybe a 5 Series or whatever, somewhere in there, you might actually spot a new Honda. Exactly. It's almost as simple as that. Yeah. So if, if the husband or wife drives either vehicle, one of them will still say, okay, I'll, I'll live with the Honda. And in my neighborhood, I've seen that, you know, with people with, with BMWs and, and Hondas and Mercedes-Benz and Toyotas. And it's not it's not a racial thing or a, a demographic thing. I think it's more just, you know, when you, when you get to that certain level of uh, financial stability, these are the vehicles you look at in two different demographics. They appeal to the same type of people, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. Just like in, 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 in a way that R&B and hip hop go together or jazz and something else goes together exactly exactly. um one final question yes we are huge fans of the integra any generations right right um what are your thoughts on the new integra returning to me no matter what it looks like or no matter what engine it carries the integra name is so powerful in the market it's like the evo name for lancer you know Mm. and i think it's sad that honda has not brought back an integra for such a long time but because the other Japanese manufacturers are looking at performance vehicles as a new avenue to attract younger generation of customers, whether it's electric or not. I'm sure when the next Integra comes out, whether it's electric car or whether it's hybrid or whatever it is, it's going to be an exciting vehicle from Honda. And we'll leave it at that. Thank you very, very much for that awesome review, Daniel. Thank you. So, you've just heard two nights used car review on the 1991 Honda Integra XSI, a car very close to both of our hearts uh, and obviously Subash's as well. Unfortunate that he sold the car, but it's gone. Mm. Are you interested in getting a Honda or any other used cars? Buy your next car from the largest selection of quality used cars from carsum.my. All Carsum certified cars have passed the strict 175-point inspection come with 5-day money-back guarantee, 1-year warranty, fixed prices with no hidden fees. Buy and sell cars with complete peace of mind at carsum.my. Make it Carsum today. Just to rewrap the show, uh, in part one, we spoke about some positive signs of recovery in the automotive industry, some fancy police cars, interstate travel, as well as being safe on the road and not driving recklessly, which is very, very important. Part two, we spoke about car launches, two new entry-level pickups, an updated Geely Boyu that should come over as a Proton, and finally, you just heard the used car review, 1991 Honda Integra XSI. If you've missed any part of this show, don't forget you can go on bfm.my, you can go on any of your podcast apps as well. You can read all about all the things that we've talked about, written by Daniel and his team by clicking in the description below. Thank you very much, Daniel, for being on the show. And my name is Arv Roos, and we'll see you next week on Cruise Control on BFM 89.9. for listening to this podcast to find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on itunes bfm 89.9 the business station